Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashnor Kabir, and I am almost blind. This week we talk about something I've written about on my blog, and that is perspective. I don't remember at all what inspired this post. I, I was mopping at my job and I thought about it. I, I know there was a reason for it, but I completely forgot what that reason was. I have two episodes to record this week so that I can take a week off. So let's go ahead and jump into it. The first point, though, is the point that I didn't get to talk about in my last episode and got pushed on to this episode. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, go do that. TLDL, I talked about how sometimes people lie and is it so wrong if people lie to encourage you? Although I swore that I would never lie when I was however many years old, I just don't do it. Regardless of the reason, I thought about tactical mistruths a little bit more. So I want to talk a little bit more about that, mostly because it's a thought that came up into my head a few days ago. It's been a few, it's been some more days now, so about a week or two ago now. Firstly, school. In school, they kind of sometimes lie to you. Uh, They'll teach you a piece of the picture or give you a part of the picture, but then you go up a few grades and your teacher says, remember when they taught you that? Yeah, that wasn't true. And this isn't malicious. They're not feeding children incorrect information for fun. That's what news outlets do. But uh, for example, the ideal gas law, pressure times volume equals moles times ideal gas constant times temperature. So PIVNERT, if you uh, if you are into STEM, you know that PV equals NRT. But anyways, this law is, you know, in school, they'll teach you that it always works and that's why it's a law because it's supposed to always work and it it does really honestly except for when it doesn't (laughs) Uh, when you go to really 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 high temperatures or i also believe really 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 cold temperatures when you get to like extreme extreme edge cases it falls apart Uh, in school they'll teach you this always works uh, and it works usually like i said Uh, but it does fall apart in those edge cases and if you go to college and you study the edge cases they'll tell you all right so yeah that doesn't exactly work anymore um And the general information is good. For example, meditation research. We can also, you know, we see this in research sometimes. When we want to study something that has a lot of nuances or a lot of different variations, and we want to create a standardized method so that we can do the research. For example, meditation research goes through this pretty hard. There are hundreds of different meditation techniques. And one of the reasons is that different techniques work for different people because different people have different minds. And back when they were making meditation in the yogic days and the back in the spiritual days when people ate out of wooden bowls and died on the streets, back in those days when they were figuring all of this out and they learned different people's brains work differently. Uh, and so they made different meditation techniques so that everyone could meditate in a way that worked best for them. And so, uh, they did that and where was i you can't research hundreds of meditation techniques though right that's a lot of research you want to research meditation so you look at all the different techniques you find the commonalities and find one meditation that encompasses what the they find meditation to be they being the researchers in the west so here in america Canada, etc. They found that mindfulness meditation encapsulate a lot of the meditation practices. And that's why they use that one. So most of the research papers you read are going to be how mindfulness meditation affects X, Y, or Z. And, you know, 
it happens. Uh, we could compare this to, say, studying a diet of potatoes, noodles, and rice. If we were to do that, we would see that all of these foods are carbo carbohydrates, and the study would get would be geared towards looking at the carbohydrates rather than each individual food and how it works. And so this happens. Sometimes we generalize things. And so the last thing is whether this should or shouldn't be done. Well, it is kind of useful. It's a lot more efficient to generalize things and get a good enough idea to learn about something. It's probably more useful to make a gas law that works for 99.9% .9 of gases rather than fixating on those edge cases at first and then make a law for each gas. That's not efficient. But I think we would be remiss to completely neglect the flavors of these things. The specificities are important, but I always keep in mind that when I'm reading a paper on meditation that they say it wasn't effective for X amount of people, I'm not surprised. But I do wish scientists understood that when they study meditation and they use a single form of meditation, of course you're going to have skewed results. Some, someone suffering from PTSD is going to be helped by a meditation that helps depression. Quite the opposite, actually. Focusing practices help that help depression actually bring up a lot of negative memories and traumas in the PTSD patient. And so rather for PTSD, grounding meditations are much more effective at helping them. And they might be less effective at helping a depressed person because the issues and the problems of their minds are very different. And so the meditations they use to work on those issues and ailments are going to be very different. And one of the reasons you might see meditation is, quote, mostly effective, end quote, in science is because especially as you grow the population for the sample size, not everyone is going to react the same to a single meditation practice. And so it's not that the results show that meditation itself doesn't work. It's the kind of meditation they're studying that is yielding those results. Overall, simplification and generalization are useful and therefore necessary. But it's important to keep an open mind and understand that life is a lot more nuanced than we usually take it for. It's why there's a difference between efficacy and effectiveness. Uh, now we get to the bulk of this podcast and what this one is about. Uh, perspective. Perspective is how you view things or see things. And perception is how you interpret things. They go quite hand in hand. In one of my favorite books that I talk about all the time, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker, he writes a quote. And for the longest time, I thought that I made this quote up, but I went back and read some of my blog posts on perspective and perception. And I found that, that the quote that I thought I made was actually... Sean Aker's quote from The Happiness Advantage. And so the quote is, uh, reality is a perception of the mind. And in other words, reality is subjective. Reality is a mere reflection of what your mind perceives reality to be. Before we talk about this practically, we're going to take this to the extremes and the esoteric points. The first one that some of you may be thinking is, if reality is what I want it to be, where are the dragons, the cat girls, and my waifus? Well, I'll tell you two things. One, sleep deprivation. Two, sleep paralysis. 
if you're sleep deprived enough, you can hallucinate many dragons and cat girls. It is more than possible. And when you're hallucinating, that feels very, very real. It's why schizophrenia and psychosis are so problematic to these people. The things they see are real. And even if you cognitively understand that can't be real, that doesn't make it any less real to you. If you think you see a ghost coming to eat you, although you might know ghosts aren't real, we think, <laughs> although we might know that ghosts aren't real to you, if you see that thing and you experience that thing through all of your like observations and your senses, your body and your mind are going to react to that with fear, excitement, whatever you're going to feel if you see a ghost, I don't know. But the second was sleep paralysis. And that's not the unreleased Juice World song, sleep paralysis again. Oh my goodness, what a great song. But maybe you've experienced sleep paralysis. I haven't, but people talk about sleep paralysis like this. And when we look into it, this is what we get. So people wake up in the middle of the night or they wake up in the middle of their sleep. It doesn't have to be in the night and they can't move. And oftentimes they'll see some sort of creature. Usually they describe it as a demon in the room. If you look up our uh, artistic renditions of sleep paralysis. So if you go to Google and look up like sleep paralysis pictures, you'll see like paintings of someone asleep that kind of looks scared and they can't move. And then in the corner of the room, there's like this demon or something. And so that's what sleep paralysis will usually look like. That's what it will be interpreted as artistically. And so uh, this is generally speaking for most people, pretty terrifying. It's scary enough to wake up and not be able to move your body and even scarier if there's a monster in your room, if you can't move. And this is a well-documented thing. It's not super uncommon. It happens to people more, uh, you know, more often than you think. I don't think there's any conclusive research on it, but I would guess that here, this is, you know, from my 5 billion effing hours of experience in the sleep field, this is what my guess would be. So during REM sleep, you lose muscle tone. And what that means is that your muscles stop working. You can't move. And the reason that your body will do this is so that you don't act your dreams out. Because during REM sleep, your dreams are the most uh, vivid, right? And so you don't want to start going around. If you're having a dream about being a ninja, you don't want to go around like slicing things and slapping things and hitting your spouse in the face when you're trying to, when you're dreaming. And so obviously this can mess up sometimes and that's where sleepwalking can come from. But in this case, uh, it doesn't. And so your muscle tone goes away. And then maybe it's possible that during this REM sleep, you get woken up by something. And REM is the lightest stage of sleep. So it's not too crazy to think that you'd wake up during REM sleep. However, maybe you wake up in the middle of REM sleep instead of at the peak of REM sleep, which is uh, a lot of us do wake up in the middle of the night during REM sleep. And it's normal. Usually you don't remember it. Sometimes maybe you remember it. But Anyways, so you wake up during REM sleep and you still have no muscle tone, like your body still hasn't like gotten back the power to move its muscles. And that's why you're paralyzed. That's why you can't move. And then what about the demon part? Well, so during REM sleep, like we said, that's where your brain dreams. And so when you're dreaming, you're more or less hallucinating. And so for the demon that's in your room, it's probably the fear that you feel being combined with your senses, quite literally hallucinating. And so what's happening in simple terms is you're dreaming with your eyes open. And so that's, that's what you see the demon in the room for. It's just a combination of your fear and the fact that you're your senses are just making these things up. That's how dreams will be working. Right. And so that's what I would say that, uh, 
causes the sleep paralysis thing. And so reality is a perception of the mind. So yeah, even the extremes of seeing dragons, ghosts, and ghouls in real life, if your mind really wants to, it absolutely can see those things. And if you can do those things, or if you do see those things, please talk to a doctor. <laughs> in a more practical manner though, technically reality as you experience it really is completely uh, to put it in one way, made up. <laughs> uh, everything that you see isn't really what's in front of you. It's just the light that's being taken into your eyeballs, traveling through the brain and being interpreted inside of the brain. And so I've talked about this a uh, little in uh, the episode about the double slit experiment, uh, a famous quantum mechanics experiment where they took particles they put it through two slits. They found that the particles, of course, just formed two mountains on the other side. Uh, makes sense. They then took light of a specific frequency, not white light, which is made up of all the colors. If you look behind me, there's a blue light right now, and it'll it changes over the course of time. But as light changes, it has different frequencies. And say so they took one of these frequencies, they threw it to the slits. Through, uh, they threw it to through the two slits, and the that basic uh, frequency um, made two light sources basically that interfered with each other. Uh, they diffract and created a set of strips on the screen. So stripe, no stripe, stripe, no stripe. Uh, that's a bit complicated if you're not into science and you don't know about physics and stuff. But this isn't surprising. It's how waves act. This makes sense, and it's completely to be expected. It made sense. And so then we used atoms. We took one of the slits and we covered it up, shot the atoms through, and we found that the atoms bunch up more or less. It makes sense when we open the second slip or the second slit, uh, the atoms act like waves. And that makes less sense. Um, <laughs> maybe we can use forces or something to describe the pattern. Not crazy. We just need to figure it out, right? Sure. Uh, then we decided to put a camera on the slit so that we could watch the atoms. Uh, and after we did that, the atoms produce a particle-like pattern instead. How, how does it change just by putting a camera on the atoms? What if we unplug the camera? Well, we get the interference pattern again. It doesn't make sense uh, to some of the brightest minds in existence right now either. And when I say some of, all of, right? Because if someone understood this, if you understand why this works, there's a Nobel Prize waiting for you. So please go explain it. But the yogis said long ago that reality is a probability that is collapsed by observation. Reality is like a dice that's being constantly shook. And by observing, by listening, seeing, tasting, the dice lands on a number. As hippy-dippy esoteric as it might sound, that's kind of what the double-slit experiment showed us. A reality is a reflection of the mind, a perception of the mind. So we have the hippy-dippy stuff and the science stuff kind of agreeing here. It's weird. But the point with all of these is to say that reality and how it works, how it manifests, it seems that it's partly dependent, maybe a lot dependent on how you view, understand or interact with reality. And that's our next point. How you see life will change not only how you interact with it, but how it interacts with you. This is the basis for placebo, actually. See, one of the most effective tools in medicine is placebo. I'm about to go really quickly because I'm about to run out of time. 
but uh, one of the most effective tools in medicine is placebo. We use placebo in research to test effectiveness or efficacy. We use it to cure problems without invasive treatment. You may have heard of sugar pills, which are pills prescribed to a person, but they don't actually have any sort of chemical basis at all. They're just blanks, basically. And not only all of this, but placebo often works even if people know it's a placebo. And this time we're going to start with the science. Expectation, the placebo effect, and the response to treatment. That's the name of a meta-analysis that looked at the placebo effect. One of the first experiments that the paper mentions, I found it from, you guessed it, the happiness advantage. Uh, the experiment was done on 13 subjects where each subject had a poison ivy branch rubbed on one arm, but were told it was a harmless tree branch. And the other arm was rubbed with a harmless tree branch, and they were told that it was a poison ivy branch. All 13 arms that were rubbed with the harmless branch showed symptoms of poison ivy ivy, while only two arms that were rubbed with the actual poison ivy displayed any symptoms. And the arms that displayed symptoms that were rubbed with poison ivy, those symptoms were actually more minor than the symptoms that were produced by the harmless shrub. And so by simply being told that they were being rubbed with an irritant, the arm became irritated, while when actually being brushed by an irritant, many of them were fine. If that doesn't tell you that reality changes depending on what you think and no, I'm impressed. This isn't the only study. There have been men, there have been studies on even surgery. There was a famous knee surgery on arthritis patients and a study that had three groups. Actual surgery, saline solution, and no surgery at all. I probably should have remembered the name of the surgery. I think it was like uh, ortho, it was an orthopedic knee surgery, something like that. I don't remember. But anyways, so the study had those three groups, uh, actual saline solution and no, no surgery. Uh, the study found that there was no difference between the three groups. The patients felt better just because they thought they got a surgery. That's it. That would make them feel better. During some wars, when they were running out of painkillers, they would give the soldiers sugar pills and pretend like they were real, and the patient's pain did successfully go away. Placebos are pretty incredible, and they are extremely important for research, and they work very well in medicine as well. Melatonin supplements, for example, are placebos, except for jet lag, they do have, uh, there, there is evidence to say that they help get jet lag under control. But for get help getting sleep they don't actually have any evidence in like having a neurological basis for working but it does help a lot of people get to sleep are those people just special no they just think that they're going to get to sleep easier and so they get to sleep easier and so it works uh, there's also a good bit of evidence that a lot of placebos work even if the patient knows that they're getting uh, a placebo and now the less sciencey stuff uh, i tell you what we said earlier reality is a perception of the mind reality changes depending on how you view it and how you interact with if you go around like thinking, if you go around like, if you go around thinking everything sucks and everyone hates you and life is garbage, then it'll be just that. And I'm not saying this from some inspirational Instagram post, all right? I've lived life with ultimate pessimism and my life sucked and everyone hated me. I've lived with a neutrality and things got better, but things still were pretty neutral. I played the optimism game for a while and things got better. I have friends now and I only cry myself to sleep 
some of the times, <laughs> but this is true. And aside from my personal analogy, it's not uncommon to see studies that say happier people are generally more productive and perform better at work. Uh, and they're also more safer at work than their unhappy counterparts. You'll also probably hear a lot from people that lived like I did pessimistically. I did both uh, or lived like I did both pessimistic and optimistic. So they, they had both experiences. Uh, they'll probably tell you that being more positive, even if you have to fake it a little bit, your life will be better. People will treat you better. Outcomes will be better. Your luck overall will be better. Call it the law of attraction or whatever, but that's how it be. The external world is merely a reflection of the internal world. And if you like the law of attraction, uh, what I just said, uh, the external world is a re merely a reflection of the internal world. That's known as the law of correspondence. So if you're into that hippie stuff, there you go. Uh, one's the ex one's external realm is a reflection of their internal realm. Very fun and pretty true. Uh, so you want a better life. Gandhi said it. Martin Luther King said it. Uh, it was actually MLK Day this Monday when this episode comes out. I wish I knew that when I recorded the last episode, but I'm actually a pretty big fan of Martin Luther King Jr. I think he was really, really good at talking. I think that he was just a, a really good uh, speaker. I think his movement, his idea, his way of going through with things, him and Gandhi both, the whole like make change with peace revolution can happen without bloodshed. I think, I mean, uh, of course they knew that people were going to get hurt and there was going to be bloodshed, but only from one side. They didn't want to cause the bloodshed. And so I think that was absolutely awesome from both of them. But anyways, as they both said, change starts with you. Uh, you want people to be nicer to you you be nicer to others. You want people to treat you and others better. You treat people better. You want people to care more about the environment. You do things to care about the environment. People imitate what they see way more often than they imitate what they hear. Be the change that you want to see. And magically enough, there's a pretty good chance that you'll start to attract that change to you. And that is all, though, for this episode of Seriously Funny. A pretty good one, actually. I enjoyed writing this one. I will be taking a break uh, next week, but you won't know that because I will be recording an episode literally right after this one. And so you're going you're gonna to get that. I'm just going to personally be chilling out. So in this one, I will give you the anime update. I finished season two of Daily Life of the Immortal King, and I finished Banished from the Heroes Party, so I started A Quiet Life in the Countryside. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the title either. But the anime was good. It was a slice of life with some bits of adventure and action. Super wholesome. Great romance. Highly recommended. Uh, Daily Life of the Immortal King Season 2. Absolutely hilarious. Just like Season 1. It was a good story. And they have one more season left, which is both exciting and sad. Uh, the last season of Attack on Titan has started to air. And so I'll be watching that in three months when it finishes, along with Demon Slayer second season. Super fun. Hopefully we'll see some projects in the coming months. Uh, I did also start watching uh, Mushoko Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation. So I'm actually going to talk about that in the next episode. So you're going to have to wait for that. Uh, and so, because I'm about to record that one and I'm running low on time. So, uh, and I have a lot to say. So I'm going to leave that one here. Thank you for listening to this one. I'm going to contemplate uh, whether I want to edit this first or not. But yeah, I think I'll probably talk first. So I'll talk to you in, well, literally like three minutes uh, and in a week uh, for you. So much love. Uh, peace.